Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors, and welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. It's a pleasure being with you today, and we are going to look into land flipping with Pete Reese, who is millions per year in a little-known niche. So Pete is the president of RealVest Properties, a land development investment company. He has successfully purchased and sold hundreds of pieces of real estate for profit over the years, and he's on track to earn over $4 million in revenue in 2022. So Pete, share with us an experience that helped you to be who you are today. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Alan. And uh, that's a very good uh, topic to start with. I guess in my case, my formative experience was more of uh, my upbringing. I had great parents and everything, but they never owned their own home. So it was one of those things that uh, they, they always uh, rented. I, I subsequently, I mean, later got them to buy their own home, but that was after I moved out and everything. Yeah. But it was one of those things that always kind of was in the back of my mind and something where I always felt like, hey, I really would love to get into real estate. I'd definitely want to own my own home and hopefully many of them. So that was one thing that really, I guess, was very formative for me and um, kind of set me on a path or to where I am today. Well, it's kind of interesting that even as a young kid, you were aware of the fact your parents were renters rather than owners. How did you come to that realization? I'm really not sure. Well, we lived in an apartment complex, a large complex. It was a nice area to grow up and I had no complaints about that. It was actually pretty fun because there was lots of kids around. There was a big community pool. There was always lots of things to do and lots of areas to play. But I just knew, I just recognized that all my friends had their own homes and it was different from what I had. It was just kind of like, I just wanted that instead of what I had. Yeah. But, well, interesting. Well, how did you get started uh, in real estate investing? Well, I guess the, the very start was similar to a lot of people in that my wife and I, we bought our first home in about the year 2000, bought it with an FHA loan. So we got in with a low down payment, three and a half percent, only held it for a couple of years. And then we made about $50,000 on it just because some light elbow grease that we put into it and also some market appreciation. Mm -hmm. So we made about 50000 at the time. That seemed like a lot of money. And uh, so we took that money and then we rolled it into another home that needed some work, fixed that up quite a bit, created more equity in that home. We started flipping homes. That led us down a whole another path at the time. The real estate market then crashed. And I should back up one step. While we were flipping homes, I actually got my broker's license here in California. And I did it solely because I figured I'd have more access to deals, which I did. And I was able to show myself home instead of waiting on the agent that we were working with. And also got that, that commission on the purchase as well. So I did it for that purpose. But then when the real estate market crashed, my wife was like, hey, you should really look into getting into selling bank-owned properties. So that's what I did. It made sense to me. That's what was selling that that was one of the only things that was really selling so i got into that heavily involved with that so i started listing bank owned properties and that gave me a whole wealth of experience in and of itself i then got hooked up with a lot of different investors that were buying these homes that i would list so i started finding them extra finding them deals along the way. I really remained kind of like focused on that investor side of things for, for quite some time. I knew what they were looking for. I knew how to get them to deals. So it was kind of a, a perfect match. And I like doing that because mm -hmm. when you're working with investors, there's no emotions involved. It's simply about the numbers. Yeah. yeah. Which 
which I like that. <laughs> yeah. <So. laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, different realtors have, have their different niches, but um, I'm yeah. a realtor also, and I've always preferred the the commercial and investors yeah. just for that same reason. It's just it's so much easier. Yeah, definitely. Well, when you don't have those emotions to deal with yeah. and the paint colors and, you know, <laughs> stuff. I mean, some people are really good with that and, and can really connect on that side of things. It's just not me. But. I know. I know exactly what you mean. There's no buyer remorse. There's no seller remorse. There's no last minute dragging their feet. It's just a whole different deal with the residential market there. Yeah. What was your best? Best ever uh, deal in real estate. Best ever deal. Okay. Well, I think it was the probably the first house that we bought for just a flip. It was a very interesting time in that financing was super easy. And this is a residential home that we purchased. So we ended up getting it under contract. We purchased it with 100% financing, meaning like at the time they were offering these 80-20 loans. It was 80% first position at 20% in second position concurrently closing. Oh, wow. And so zero out of pocket as far as the down payment went. And as soon as we closed on it, the agent that we used was approached by another group that said that they wanted to buy it because their relatives lived down the street or something like that. So we ended up reselling that property, I think for about a $75,000 profit Wow! without even making the first payment on it without <laughs> anything out of pocket. So it was kind of like... Can it be this easy? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I knew we had a good deal, yeah. but it just seemed too easy. <laughs> but it was great. So that, that was probably the best deal just because it was our first and it went so well and, you know, hard to duplicate, I guess. But Well, it's always nice to have those kinds of deals. They don't fall from trees, but you were just right. very fortunate there for sure. Well, what was your worst deal ever? Worst deal? Well, right now we do 100% of our business is buying and selling land. So for the last two years, been really ultra focused on just that and scaling that up. So thankfully, none of these deals has come at a loss. There are some that, you know, were fairly close where we made, you know, $1,000 or something like that on it. But I consider that almost a win. But I would say the worst deal and the land side of things that I've done is one that was, it was an ultra cheap property. It was a property that was landlocked. So I knew going in that it was, had a lot of issues, but I was buying it so cheap that I figured, hey, you know, I think it was a 12 acres in an established city, but it was just kind of in between all these different subdivisions. So there was no legal access to it. It's easy to walk onto the property, but there wasn't really anything you could do with it aside from maybe a Frisbee golf course or something like that, a paintball course or something, 12 acres. So I think I bought it for something like 3000, which is dirt cheap, you know, mm -hmm. and I figured, well, it'd be easy. I could just list it for 20,000 and I'll sell it right away. And I got tons and tons of interest, like con considerable amount of interest. And, you know, no one really understood the landlock thing. And, you know, they all thought it was something different than than what it was. But anyhow, I ended up falling out of contract a couple of times, ended up selling it, but not just without it, so much hassle went with it that it ended up selling it for maybe 5,600 or something like that. If my memory serves me. So I made a couple thousand dollars on it, but it was just, I would not do any deal like that again, just because it was such a hassle. And now I only focus on buying quality properties that I can get at a good price. So yeah. that's my thing now. But it taught me a lesson. Yeah. I mean, things that can look really good on paper can sometimes just be a real major headache and you wish you'd never gotten involved in the first place. But yeah. Yeah. Like, and like, just because it's cheap doesn't mean it's a, it's a deal. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I've been there, done that. So yeah, I know yeah. exactly what you're talking about. Well, what is your biggest regret uh, in your real estate journey? Honestly, I love the business model that I'm doing now. So I would say the biggest regret would be that I didn't start it sooner. Mm -hmm. 
So, I mean, I, I just love, I love the way that the business model that I'm doing now kind of matches with my skill set. And I feel like if I would have gotten in a couple years sooner, five years sooner or something like that, I would, I would be, you know, far advanced from where I am now. I'm not, I mean, I'm not discouraged from where I'm at right now. It's just, I guess that would, that would be a regret, but. Well, tell us about business model and sure. why it is that you find investing in land uh, such an appealing segment to be in. Sure. One thing that um, is important to note is there's a lot of different ways to do land investing. And the way that we do it is quite different than what a lot of people do. Basically, it's a very short-term hold strategy. Our properties that we purchase and sell are only in our inventory for an average of 60 days, which is ultra short. And that includes the resale escrow time period. Mm -hmm. So what we do, I mean, the business model is essentially we build a list of property owners in a particular area. Say, for example, we're going to mail all the landowners that uh, it's over 10 acres that are within a certain area. Mm -hmm. So we build this list. We then uh, figure out an average retail price per acre on the property, on those properties in that area. And then we'll back off a certain percentage and we'll come do a mail merge and we'll direct mail all these people. And we'll actually send them a two-page letter. First page kind of just tucked explains who we are, what we're doing, and why we're contacting them. Second page is actually an offer. It's a one-page offer, and it's it comes with the their parcel number and like specific details about their property, but it also has an offer price from us. Mm -hmm. So we send out many thousands of those a month, and then that gets the phone ringing. Some people are upset that we offered too low. Some people are interested. Some people are interested if we can get pay them a higher price. So we get the phone ringing. We get the emails coming in, texts coming in. We get responses, basically. We work out deals. We buy the properties for cash, and then we'll do some, sometimes we'll do some light development type things to the properties, like we'll get them surveyed, we'll get a perk test Done. We'll get some paths cleared on the property because these are rural properties generally that are either wooded or open meadows or something like that. So we went, may clear some access so potential buyers can investigate the properties. We put them on the market and resell them right away. So and we don't just put them on the market at retail prices. We put them on the market at a price slightly below retail prices and we can get a buyer uh, relatively quickly. Wow. So, so it's all about speed. Quickly. Well, that is uh, that's an interesting uh, take on that. Do you do that all over the country or are there areas that are better than other places? Yeah. I mean, we're not opposed to all over the country. There are certain areas that I, that I would avoid. Most of our stuff is really within certain states, like kind of the East Coast is where we're doing a lot of our stuff right now. But we've done some in the Pacific Northwest as well. And I'm open to expanding into other markets. It's just a matter of finding mm -hmm. all the resources and team members on the ground that can help us kind of achieve our business model. I mean, because we're big on working with local land brokers to kind of help us on the buy side, kind of determine, you know, what they think of the property, what they think they could resell it for. And also that we use them to resell the property. You know, we list the property with them when we, we after we close the purchase. So, mm -hmm. so it's kind of a win-win situation in yeah. that regard. Enlightened investors, if you haven't done so already, be sure and click that like button and also click that share so others can take advantage of the content. And finally, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single one of our upcoming episodes. Well, what determines whether a market is a suitable market? We're just kind of looking at basic data. I mean, one thing I look for is activity. You know, some markets, some 
counties. Normally, we'll break it down by at the county level and we'll say, I'll look on, on Zillow or something like that and I'll see what kind of activity, sales activity there is for, for land. Is it a situation where, for instance, there's 50 parcels that sold over the last year that are 10 acres above in that particular county, but there's 200 listings within that same category? In that regard, I know that's probably about four years worth of inventory. If it's even, you know, if there's 50 listings and 50 sold over the past year, then that's a, that's a pretty balanced market. And then on the other side, you know, if there's only 10 listings of the 50 sales, then we know it's a really pretty hot market. So we like to go for at least the balanced markets to the hotter ones. And if we see that activity there, then I know that if we buy a property, a good property, and we put it on the market for a price that's attractive, it's going to sell. Mm -hmm. Certain markets just don't have a lot of going, going on. And, and maybe that's just some sort of imbalance between what the sellers expect to sell for and what the buyers expect to pay for things. So there's that weird dynamic in some markets. And uh, I don't know why it happens, but it just is what it is what it is. So those are the tougher ones to sell. It's not impossible. If you buy a good property and you get it for the right price and you could sell it for the right price, you're definitely going to sell it there as well. But it's just a matter of you've got to generally be a little bit more aggressive on your buy price and the price that you're listing it for in order to kind of manufacture that activity. Well, Pete, this 2022 has been a really volatile year and the real estate market has really nationwide has taken really quite a hit. What have you been seeing in terms of the land market? It's interesting. Land is one of those things that there has been an uptick in land values in a lot of these markets that we deal in over the past five years, even more. Mm -hmm. It hasn't been as dramatic as single family or multifamily and, and some of these things. It's more of a cash-based business in a way. I mean, like a lot mm -hmm. of the, there are land loans out there for buyers. But a lot of the transactions that happen within the ranges that I'm dealing with, at least their cash or their finance, maybe through a home equity loan on their house, something like that. Right. So regardless, I, I don't think it's it's run up as far. So we haven't seen any sort of decrease in these markets yet. There's still the demand there, at least the markets that we're dealing with. And I guess it it'll it makes sense that it will decrease just like you know mm -hmm. other sectors of the housing market. But it's uh, we haven't seen it yet. The fact that we're able to have such a short hold time though allows us to adapt. So if we if we notice some sort of downtick in activity or pricing or something like that, then we just we're able to adjust our buy prices pretty quickly. So you know we, we don't hopefully get stuck with overpriced inventory. Uh -huh. The other thing is too that I think that people view land as a good hedge against inflation, and it makes sense to me that it is a good hedge against inflation. So you know we've got the the rising waters kind of, I think, affecting, you know, helping us with the pricing on our, our land as well. What kind of, as you mentioned, the land is generally going to be cash just because the financing options are just not there like they are for single family homes. Is your typical buyer an investor or are they buyers looking for a piece of property just to put their own home on it? Or? A lot of the properties that we sell are a single buyer looking to put a home on the property or manufacture or mobile home on the property or simply buy it and use it for recreation. So those are the those are mm -hmm. the the great majority of the buyers. From time to time we we will get an investor that's kind of accumulating properties in a certain area maybe that you know some of these people just just like collect good properties in their area when they see them. Mm -hmm. So we do get those type of buyers from from time to time as well. But the great majority of them are either looking to build something on the property 
maybe not immediately, but maybe some point in the future mm -hmm. and use it as recreation until they get to that point. Or at least that's the thought in their head that they'll, oh, someday I'm going to build on this property. But whether that actually happens or not is another thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's really, who cares as long as they pay for right. it. Right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, you had mentioned the 10 acre property. Is that generally a cutoff? Uh, for you in terms of as small as you go or? Yeah, right now, that's kind of what we've adjusted to. I mean, I prefer to do the larger properties at this point. In the past, you know, getting ramped up in our business, you know, I was going down to two acres as a minimum. Now with the, the smaller properties, you're generally closer to a city center or at least a town or something like that. Um, those are different kind of properties in a way, like they really only have one use, which would be a potential home site. You can't really look at a two acre property and say, oh, I'm going to buy this as a recreational property to drive my four wheeler around or, you know, have farm animals or something like that, because it's mm -hmm. kind of too small for that. So I like mm -hmm. the 10 acre cutoff because that sort of obviously can be a home site, but it also can be used for recreation. That's a large enough property in most areas where they consider that to be big enough to ha to do recreational type things on the property. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's that's so that's what I like to stay with now. And also, you know, as you get into the bigger properties, sometimes the dollar amounts get higher and it's a lot easier to really scale up the business doing bigger chunks at a time instead of, you know, selling a twenty thousand dollar property or something like that. Well, do most of your purchases or I guess I should say what percentage of your purchases actually end up being well, there's there's generally two factors that people look at for discounted properties. One is the tax liens and the other is inheritance. What percentage of your actually fall into that category? Well, we don't do the tax lien. You know, some people kind of focus on those type of properties, so we don't go there. Um, mm -hmm. Pretty much we just build the list and we try to work with property owners that are the, directly with the property owners. And some, a lot of the situations actually are inheritance situations, like may, may not have been like a recent inheritance, but it, at some point they inherited it and it's really, the property is not something they ever use. Sometimes they live in a different state. They've never even been to the property. And it's just a situation where they get this property tax bill every year and they're sick of paying it. So those types of situations we run into a lot. And, um, you know, sometimes these people have, you know, a lot of these sellers have accumulated uh, numerous parcels in a certain area over time for whatever reason. And, you know, they, they're at a point where they're like, I don't, you know, I don't see myself doing anything with these properties and I'd rather just sell them and get the cash. So, yeah. so that's the, a lot of those types of situations. Yeah. Well, what do you envision for the future? and land investment? Well, I'm trying to scale it as high as I possibly can. So for me, I'm, you know, I'm always trying to push bigger and better. So next year, I'm hoping to get to 10 million or above in revenue. And when I say that, we're, we're normally doing about 50% gross profit margin overall. Mm -hmm. So on average, we're trying to buy a property and we're trying to double our investment. So obviously there's a lot of fluctuations in the individual properties. You know, some properties we're able to hit that or even more. Some properties we don't do so well on. And, you know, mm -hmm. like I said, there's been a, been a few properties where we only made like a thousand dollars. I thought it was going to be a winner, but it wasn't. And I discovered something along the way and uh, it just didn't work out. But I take those properties and I learn my lessons from them so I don't repeat them again. So yeah, so we're, we're trying to, to scale it as high as we can. 10 million for 2023, I think is very doable. And I think I've got the system in place to make that happen. Well, Pete, tell our audience what you have to offer and how it is they can take advantage of that. Sure. Um, yeah, we've got a website which is called turningprofit.com. And um, my wife and I are starting our own podcast about real estate investing. And we're going to be talking a lot about 
land investing and our business model and everything, and then having on other investors with successful business models as well. So you can kind of learn all about different ways that people are making money as real estate investors. So land investing obviously is not the only way to make money as a real estate investor, but it's, it's, it's a way that we really enjoy. And we can obviously talk quite a bit about on that website there too. I do a monthly income report which shows exactly how much revenue we took in, how much uh, gross profit we took in, how many properties we sold that month. And then I break down each deal, how we did on that one, what we bought it for, what we sold it for, how many days we held it for, some notes about the property, what went well, what didn't go well, what did we learn, as much insight as I can get. So those monthly income reports, I think if you're interested at all about land investing or something that uh, would be really interesting for you, because when I started land investing, there was just very little information out there. I mean, I, I would read some stuff about people saying, hey, I bought this property for 10000 I sold it for 30000 And while that sounded really cool to me, I had no way of really knowing anything about whether that was real or just any sort of details about, about that. So it kind of got me started, but I had to figure it out on my own. And I think you could probably jump past that if you kind of look and see specifically what, what we're doing. So we're doing. trying to be very transparent in that. Yeah. Well, a very interesting model. And viewers and listeners, all that information will be in our show notes. And uh, take advantage of what Pete and his uh, company have to offer there. So, Pete, it's been a pleasure getting to know you. And thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thank you so much, Alan. Enlightened investors, just one more thing before you go. You know the drill. Like, share, and subscribe. But also, we need your help to build our audience. So please go to your favorite podcast app and give us a rating and a review. We'll be greatly appreciative. Until next time, prosper and live abundantly. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Steve Talker Capital a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steve Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steve Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at stevetalker.com.